0: Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, May 3rd, we are studying Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. The miracle and subsequent preaching of Peter and John earns them a night in prison, which God creates as yet another opportunity to proclaim salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor A.J. Espinoza. Pastor Espinoza serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine,
1: California. Pastor Espinoza, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Yeah, thanks for having me, Pastor Apple. And it's it's always fun to look at Acts. Um, I've been looking at it um, a fair bit. It's just it's this it's this continuation of of the narrative. And you know, if it weren't for Acts, like you know, we we would kind of only as if it were a small thing. But we would kind of only have the gospels. But like in the New Testament, we we do have. Uh, a really large narrative uh, expanding on this story, and uh, you know, giving us like you know the the aftermath. And it, uh, I think, we'll see today. It kind of really helps us understand uh, kind of some of the things that were already moving around and taking shape back in uh, in Luke and in the Gospels earlier. Yeah, it certainly
0: has a very important place within the canon of the New Testament and is is unique within that canon, as you said. Otherwise, apart from this, we would not have that historical narrative. We could glean some things from the epistles that Paul writes, but not this same extended narrative mm-hmm. of the things that Jesus continues to do through his apostles. One thing that stands out to me as I was reflecting on the text we've got today is the way now that the book of Acts and the lives of the apostles and the ministry of the apostles starts to mirror that of our Lords. I mean, it's It's been a lot of highs, if I can say it that way mm-hmm. so far in the book of Acts, like, I mean, you've got the, the choosing of the 12th apostle, you've got the day of Pentecost, this miracle in chapter three, lots of excitement. And now it's like the other shoe begins to drop and you start to see how, the things that Jesus promised to his apostles that would happen, they start to happen. And that starts to mirror what happens in Jesus own life. As now we start to see the persecution become more active against the church.
1: Yeah, I think so. You see like a lot of these parallels, um, you know, and I'm sure that you've, you've been talking about, you know, how, how in some ways, like Peter, especially kind of begins to kind of mirror, um, and, and sound in some ways a lot more like, um, you know, his Lord, a lot, especially compared to, you know, how he sounded earlier when he was, you know, um, you know, denying his, his Lord and master, right? Like there's been a transformation here, but it's interesting because, you know, as, as you, you, As you do see this mirror uh, getting held up here, you you start to see some divergences. um, And I think that's kind of the thing that stands out to me that um, as you have this persecution, this opposition, it doesn't look quite the same as the way it did during the Lord's uh, natural ministry.
0: Is there any other context within the Book of Acts or from Luke into Acts that we need to pick up, particularly for this section of Chapter Four today?
1: Uh, I think the big thing is keeping in mind the speech um, that you know Peter and John uh, were were giving um, earlier in Chapter Three. Um, you know, because uh, I mean, this 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 whole chapter starts off with you know, like as they were addressing the people, and so. Um, and what happens is specifically because of what they were saying. And so like everything that happens here, um, is all, is all based on the content, um, and the context of, of what happened there. So, I mean, thinking about the things that they were actually saying in chapter three. Um, but then I, I think, um, also just, you know, since it is featuring, you know, the rulers, the elders, the scribes, um, yeah, I mean, you got the high priest um, and Caiaphas. I, I mean, like thinking about those people and what we already know from the Gospels and what Luke told us particularly um, is going to help us understand what, what's all going on in here.
0: Yeah, I think that's going to be very helpful. I'm going to go ahead and, and get us going into the text. And then you can remind us of who these players are in this narrative, because we are going to be reintroduced to them. They've kind of fallen into the background, but here they come back into the four at the beginning of chapter four. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're reading now in Acts chapter four, beginning at verse one. And as they, that's Peter and John, were speaking to the people. The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about five thousand. On the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, That takes us through verse 12 of the text. I'll pause there. Pastor Espinoza. so we get several, again, players in this narrative mentioned who maybe we had forgotten a little bit about. You've got priests, a captain of the temple. The Sadducees are named. Later in verse 6, well, verse 5 and 6, you get the rulers, the elders, the scribes. You get Annas, Caiaphas, John, Alexander. Remind us who some of these people are, these various groups and individuals that are named.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, collectively, they represent the, the people who are in charge, the powers that be, um, you know, whether it's because they have like political power um, when, it, when it comes to the, the rulers or if it's kind of more of like that kind of r- religious, uh, cultural power, um, particularly when you're thinking about, um, you know, like the elders and, and the scribes. Um, uh, but of course, like at at the intersection of all of it, you know, both the religious and and political, which were not really ever really super distinct anyway. Um, you know, you've got you've got the, uh, the the high priest like nexus, right? And uh, you, you know, uh, and John kind of gives a little bit more information about that. That it's it, it's kind of weird that uh, because even even though like Annas is uh, the high priest, it's like you know, uh, Caiaphas like never really totally left uh influence um and, and some of these other like uh guys you know John Alexander I mean like it's it's a uh, it's clear that kind of because of the roman meddling that had been going on um the, the high priesthood was in rome's pocket um mm-hmm. and and some of the the corruption here is is getting exposed and um, it's, it's not just one guy. It's not as if the the high priest is acting autonomously, um, you know, or just like, uh, like a Moses figure, like he's just talking to God and God tells him what to do. He's got a few guys who are telling him (laughs) what to do. Um, and and so you, you kind of have that going on. Um, and and so besides that, I mean, I think the only uh, other figure you kind of mentioned there was, um, the Sadducees, which, Oh, I mean, it's the captain of the temple, um, which is kind of an, ex- an extension, I think, um, in some ways of, of the high priesthood, um, the priest and the captain of the temple. But then you have the Sadducees, right? Um, and, th- and that's kind of interesting because they haven't been mentioned that much. I mean, they got mentioned like once back in Luke, if um, I'm recalling. Yeah. Like, you know, they, yeah. they ask Luke, Luke mentions them that
0: one time when they come to Jesus during Holy Week, right? And they pose their little riddle about the yep. various men who had the one wife.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's like you know they kind of show up, you know, the, the one time, um, you know, and at that point, like you know, all he you know kind of mentions is that well they, they deny that there's a resurrection, which you know is uh, of, of course going to be. Uh, you know, apropos here. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of interesting that it, the Sadducees, um, that, that Luke finds it, I suppose, uh, relevant or important to mention them here. Um, and, and in some ways, it's interesting that he doesn't mention uh, the, the Pharisees. So I, I think we can kind of, it'll, it'll be interesting to kind of look at that and see how that takes shape
0: well i I, think, I do think as you said the mention of the sadducées is important here because one of the things that is at question is the resurrection of jesus and that's what the sadducées were mentioned for in the gospel was that they deny the resurrection that's kind of their their main calling card there are other particularities that they have, if I recall the conversation correctly, they they deny spirits and angels in addition to the resurrection. And I believe in, when it comes to the the canon, they really only take a look at the five books of Moses and they kind of ignore the rest. They don't have the, the oral traditions, aren't the thing for them like they are for the Pharisees. So there are these distinctives. But particularly their denial of the resurrection stands out. And I, I know just thinking forward into the book of Acts, the difference between them and the Pharisees on the resurrection becomes a, a card that Paul will play later when he's put on trial and he kind of throws everybody into confusion. So the Sadducees do, I mean, this is the first time we've heard him in the book of Acts, but they're going to play a little bit larger of a role as the narrative goes forward. So to, to see them come up here, I think is a, a significant thing to notice.
1: It, it, it is um, in, in terms of, you know, like what they, what they believe, what their orientation is. Um, I guess the other, the other thing that's worth mentioning is that they, they do also represent just power um, mm. because it, it seems that the, the high priesthood at the time was uh, very closely related to, or tied to the party of the Sadducees. I mean, like that's what their name Comes from it goes back to Zadok, you know, and so like they considered themselves to be a, a kind of um, I mean I don't know like they, they saw themselves as having a legitimate connection um to like the Zadokite uh, high priesthood, um and so they they kind of felt like they were in power. Um, it seems like the the Sadducees represented um the the vast majority of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council. So I mean they they definitely had power and so when you're mentioning all these like power players like you you can't really get around um, mentioning these guys too
0: right yeah I mean the Sadducees if I'm from if I'm correct they they had yeah they had the positions of power that's that's what we need to remember when we think about the Sadducees in addition to all those theological distinctives yeah they're in the position of power they come and and as the ESV translates it they're greatly annoyed yeah because of what Peter and John are doing and I think there's I mean a couple of things going on because they're teaching the people and they're proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead and that seems to be at, at least two pronged because, again, with the Sadducees particularly, they're not going to like the talk about the resurrection of the dead. But here, it's not just the general resurrection, but it's particularly the resurrection of the dead that has been accomplished in Jesus. And so, it, it seems like it's a, a two-pronged thing, that at least two-pronged thing that's going on that's bothering them. On the one hand, there's the resurrection. The Sadducees don't like that. And then the fact that they're talking about Jesus, this is the guy they just crucified not that long ago. That's got to be getting under their skin, too.
1: Yeah, it's, I, I think in some ways the language relating to like their, their vexation is, is maybe the most interesting language in, in this little section here, um, partly because it shows that they are familiar with this, this isn't the first time that people are saying these things. Um, when you when you look in the Greek, like you you notice there's a couple of articles um, on on the teaching, um, and then also um, on Jesus. And so, um, what that I, I think shows a little bit is this idea that they're like, Oh brother, here they are again, you know, this, this teaching, you know, about Jesus, you know, coming back from the dead, like how many times are we going to hear this? So, um, j- just, just like looking at the language there, it's showing that, um, th- this has been, this has been a point of friction, uh, probably several times already. Um, this is not the first time that they're going around saying this, um, and and then and then besides that, um, the the actual construction that you have um, in terms of the the proclamation, um, I don't, the language is actually just a, a little bit different. Um, like, you know, you, you know, Luke could have just said like, you know, proclaiming that that Jesus had been raised from the dead, um, or or the resurrection of Jesus Christ, or I mean, any other. Uh, I mean, there's a number of other ways that he could have put this. That would have been kind of the more normal way of saying it, um, but he doesn't. And um, I mean, I don't know. There's a couple different possibilities there, I think.
0: Well, dig into that a little bit more. So what's the, what's the unique way that Luke writes it and what might that show his emphasis to be?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, there's a couple different ways of talking about or referring to the resurrection um, of the dead. Or, I mean, even just there in English, like right, you can talk about, you know, the resurrection of the dead or the resurrection from the dead, right? You can use like different um, prepositions. And, and so you, you have um, a little bit of that going on too um, in. In, 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 well, I mean, throughout the new Testament, um, I mean, there's also just different words for, for being raised. Um, the, the gospels almost always use, uh, just a different verb entirely. Um, which, which seems like, like, I mean, we just, you know, celebrating Easter, right. When the angels say like, you know, you know, he is risen. Um, they, they use a verb that's kind of more like, you know, he's been raised like this idea of, of like, you know, God, raising him from the dead. But but this word um, has more to do, it's more of an idea of um, an awakening or like of a, well, like, of, like of, a de- of a dead person, like standing up. So like this, um, and it's, it's more strongly associated with like the kind of bigger idea of everybody being raised from the dead some day. So <clears throat> there's like a couple things like with that. Um, and, and then the, the other, I guess, side of it though, is that like, you know, it actually says like, I kind of like literally, and, um, in the English standard version is trying to like convey this a little bit, um, just with the kind of, I, I mean, I don't know English, which is potentially awkward for us proclaiming in Jesus, the resurrection from the dead, right? Like even in English, it doesn't sound like the normal way that you would, say this and so i mean um you know it it seems like you could take this a couple different directions like you could kind of say like maybe it means they're proclaiming that the resurrection from the dead is in jesus i mean in, in a sense right like it's not just that they're proclaiming the resurrection from the dead which you know the sadducees would have been rolling their eyes at the pharisees for like all along right but that they're saying that it's it's through Jesus that this is uh, going on, um, you know. Like that, that might be a little bit of of a, what's going on there. Um, but 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 yeah, I, the the fact that you have it like you know up front, and then that they are specifically saying, you know, from the dead is actually the other bit that's a little bit different because usually they just say resurrection of the dead. It's um, you know, it's like the the, the dead people they. They, they, they all come back. Right. Um, but but here it's from the dead, which should sound familiar because it's it's in it's in our creed. And, and that's a, it's a little bit different. Right. Because that means there's a bunch of dead people and some people stand up. Some people come back to life and leave the rest of them um, leave the rest of them there. So like by putting it in this way, I mean, it's, it's different on a couple different levels, I think. Um, and you know, I mean, like you can see, you can see then why this, this could be potentially, um, you know, very problematic because this, this is kind of more like Daniel where, where you have like this, this vision of like the martyrs, um, for instance, like kind of coming back to life and. You know, executing judgment over um, you know the, the corrupt rulers. I mean, like it, it has um, a particularly sharper um, edge to it. Th- this idea that their power is going to be challenged um, by certain people coming back from the dead, certain people who obviously are not too happy with the way that they've been running things.
0: Hmm. Well, and and then centered in Jesus, you know, I mean, and he being the one that they had put to death because they didn't like what he was doing. I I think that I think that's that's well said. And it's helpful to get that edge that's going on here so that they respond in this case. And it's a pretty mild response, given what they had done to Jesus not that long ago. And just a reminder, we're not precisely sure exactly how long we are after the day of pentecost by this point we know Mm -hmm. that some time has elapsed right so but it it seems relatively recent a a few years maybe it's again it's hard to to put a precise date on this exactly but not that long ago they had crucified jesus this seems like a pretty tame response though not to be trifled with they put them in prison for a night and yet still the church continues to grow. I think that's a a marvelous contrast that even as they put these two apostles in prison, the Lord's still adding to the number of his church.
1: Well, well, yeah. Um, yeah, no, you definitely see that throughout acts, right? That like every time there's a setback, God just works more good things to happen. Right. Um, I mean, uh, I I mean, that kind of goes back to just like even Pentecost itself, right? by, uh, by by this all happening and going down in Jerusalem then i mean i mean of course like his death and resurrection it turns into this opportunity for when everyone is gathered together from like all over the world like all of the the jewish diaspora that you know all nations get to then hear the proclamation um you know and you, and you see this kind of just throughout acts 2 that like every time it seems that you know, uh, the authorities attempt to to squash the thing and put it down. It just kind of bounces back even harder. So, yeah, I mean, you, you see that, um, I suppose the other thing that's, that's worth mentioning too, is it, I I don't think, um, that they're, that we shouldn't understand that like they're like putting them in prison as like a, as like a punishment per se. Um, like there really isn't like a prison system, um, At this point in history, I mean, mostly because it's just way too expensive um, to like, you know, just just feed people and hold them for a long time. Right. Like uh, as a means of punishment, like they just I mean, obviously, as the case of the Lord Jesus, they just kill them. Um, So what what they're doing is they're they're putting them um, in in jail and custody and holding so they can decide what to do with them. Um, and, and and you and you can see that that they have this like gathering of everybody, all the players, because they want to figure out, okay, what do we do here? Um, and, and it's it's a it's a pretty valid question because you know obviously they all got together before and thought that killing Jesus was going to stop this thing, and it had to. Seemingly the opposite effect. So before before they go and martyr Peter and John here, they're like, okay, maybe we should like slow our roll and uh, see <laughs> how best to deal with this. Yeah.
0: That's a very helpful comment, Pastor Espinoza, because it I think it does help us to see how from what seems like a pretty mild reaction here, it does quickly escalate because they're they're not entirely sure. We tried this before. It doesn't seem to have had the effect that we wanted. How do we really want to proceed this time? Yeah. Eventually that that unbelief, that hardening of heart does build to the martyring of Stephen later in this, in the same book. Right. But I, I think that's a helpful comment so that we see the progression and, and they are real. They're still very much trying to figure out how to deal with this Jesus who something's going on because they thought he was going to be done for when he was crucified. And there are still people talking about him, proclaiming things in his name. And no, oh, by the way, we shouldn't forget that there's also this man who had been begging at the temple for a long time. Yep. And now he's walking around and everybody's seen it. And so there is quite the conundrum on their hands. So let's, let, on this side of the break, we still got a little bit of time here, about three minutes or so. Let's, let's go to the way they begin this trial of sorts or this trying to understand what's going on and what to do. Yeah. Freddie talked about KFS, John, all those, those players, the question that they ask in verse seven, by what power or by what name did you do this? What, what, what's behind that question?
1: Well, I mean, th- th- this is a question too, that is a lot, I mean, you are mentioning kind of parallels between acts and the gospels. I mean, Uh, this these these are exactly the same sorts of questions they were asking jesus right like hang on like what gives you the right to do this and why? well hang on by what power authority are you doing these things and of course there's some some pretty interesting responses right um you know you think of the time when when jesus says well i'll answer your question if you answer one of mine um you know and it's uh and there's some some interesting things there um but but yeah i mean like you know it's it's kind of the uh you know uh, uh, on a certain level too besides just kind of the um you know you know like what wh- what are you doing here like what's the significance of this what gives you the right um you know practically speaking they they kind of want to know like are they acting alone are they acting under orders <laughs> um you know like these are the sorts of questions you'd want to get um, you know out of, out of out of the interrogation figure out like you know how how deep does this conspiracy go or something like this? Um, But of course, you know, uh, as we've been saying, like, you know, their question just turns into a big opportunity uh, for Peter and John, because now they get to talk about um, Jesus Christ of Nazareth and, and uh, you know, the Holy spirit and, the, the resurrection of the dead and all the rest like oh well, you'd like us to tell tell you about this power like well we'd be happy to um yeah the 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 only thing like so again like though speaking of power though um i think it's worth noting in in verse five that um it, here here you, you again like so the uh when, when it says that the mention of of the rulers, the elders, and the scribes, the, the one thing in Greek that I note is that the, the pronoun there is in, in a sense, almost like kind of like, mm, almost like de-emphasized in a sense. So it's like, it, it's kind of more like in, in a way you could say, uh, like kind of like the next day, um, they, you know, they, they had the rulers and elders and scribes called on them, or something like that. Like, it, it, it's less like you know, ah, you know, your guys rulers are really bad, you know. And look at look at you people, like you know how corrupt you are. Um, it, it's almost it almost puts like a little bit of distance between the rulers and the people. You know, we had that people word mentioned in verse one, and that I think begins to in some way sharpen this distinction that was made in chapter three that. It's not just all this homogenous group of, um, you know, uh, Judahites, but it's the the people who are increasingly showing that they are very receptive to this message and the rulers who are the ones who are really exposing a deeper corruption and digging in their heels. Um, And I think that's a theme that you start seeing throughout Acts that like, you know, there's, there's going to be like a lot of positive developments among the people popularly, um, but it's the rulers who expose themselves as really requiring further divine judgment. Yeah.
0: So the scene has been set. The question has been asked the Lord will give an opportunity for his witness to testify to Jesus. And we'll pick that up on the other side of the break. You're listening to sharper iron here on KFU. We're talking next four with pastor AJ Espinoza. We'll be right back. Please stick around. back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, May 3rd. We're studying Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22 with Pastor AJ Espinoza. He serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine, California. Pastor Espinoza, prior to the break, we looked at the question asked by the rulers, by what power or by what name did you do this? Peter has now another opportunity to proclaim the good news in Jesus. By the sermons that he's preached so far, this one is briefer as Luke records it, and yet there's a lot here how does Peter give answer and so testify to the good news in Jesus?
1: Yes. So it it is, I appreciate your observation too, that it's a little bit briefer here. Um, I I think that that's a function just of Luke's storytelling. I mean, I don't think there's like really anything that we can use to say like, well, like really it was actually um, less extensive. Um, I mean, it could be that honestly, like the grilling, um, that that they're getting here um, in, in this uh, in the midst of this this gathering uh, may have gone on longer than the, the preaching that happened, you know, spontaneously after the the healing of the of the man who uh, was unable to walk. Um, I mean, you, you have it's I think it's it's very clear throughout. Um, I mean, well, throughout I mean, like the New Testament, that like when we get these speeches, they are you know they're not transcripts. They're they're in some ways. Uh, I mean their are their, their summaries that are kind of um, like they've been shaped for certain narrative ends, right? And, and and you get that just by, I mean, just right here. We just know that just kind of for a fact, because back in uh, chapter three, you know, kind of you, you just kind of follow the, the literal words. It says, you know, that Peter addressed the people and starts talking, right? But then in verse uh, verse one of chapter four here, you know, it says, as they were speaking to the people, so we know that like John was talking too, (laughs) and John was saying things. It's just that you know Luke didn't precisely record you know what exactly like he said and what he contributed to the talk. So um, you know, so all all kinds of things are being said, but Luke's trying to give us the the pertinent things. And so and so now he's giving us um, he's not just going to repeat the same speech, though you'd imagine that. He probably ends up repeating a lot of his speech, um, you know, when, when it comes to like you know what happened, you know, historically. Um, but but here Luke's giving us the relevant bits, and and, and you see uh, Peter, you know, addressing him, you know, rulers of the people and elders. So here we get have again like the distinction here, um, you know, that he made. Back in chapter three, when he said, you know, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. So this this idea that um, that there's kind of two distinct groups here, um, you have that starting to come out and it really begins to be um, made even stronger um, when when it says here in verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. So now he goes and he cites something like a saying of the Lord Jesus, and he's kind of narrowing it down and applying it to the leadership, the, the builders. Um, and I think that, that, yeah, how, how he's kind of targeting them. Um, you know, I mean, and that's, and that's what, I mean, that's what Jesus did. in, In fact, I mean, when he, when he mentioned the thing about the, uh, the cornerstone, right, he was targeting the authorities in particular. Um, that that's a part of the reason why i think you get this uh, bit in 13 when they saw the boldness of peter and john like they they are not sticking their tail between their legs they're they're going right after them mm.
0: yeah no that's for sure and you know you mentioned again to think about peter himself as he stands out in this narrative and the the trial that he had as jesus was being put on trial and how previously peter denied his lord three times here, when Peter is asked, by what power or name have you done this? He is very quick to speak the name of Jesus. It, it, there seems to be a little bit of, of reticence on the part of the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, to actually say Jesus' name. And a couple of times they'll say, by what name? And they won't actually say Jesus' name, that that actual name. Peter, on the other hand, is very quick to say it. And and in verse 12, I think verse 12 of this chapter is one of the more well-known text within the book of Acts. Sometimes we we don't always catch the whole narrative, but there are these really great gems and, and Acts 4.12 is one of them where you, you hear very clearly that, that is this name, Jesus, that's the name that brings salvation and no other name. Okay. Comment briefly, at least on verse 12, before we move on in the text.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think it, I think it kind of maybe gets back to that um what we were observing about what they were saying about the resurrection, right? Like that this idea that like the resurrection from the dead is it's through Jesus. Um and like that's that's the way, right? And in fact, this I mean, that's what the early Christian movement is called, you know, the way and Jesus, you know, calls himself the way. So this this idea that, you know, it's it's through Jesus, like that's that's how it happens, um, you know. And of course, there's lots of early Christian formulations about things being through Jesus, um, you know, th- that Paul uses. Um, but th- this idea that, like, kind of like all the promises, uh, you know, all the inheritance of Abraham, all of like our identity, all the salvation—it's through him. He's the door. It, it, like, it, it, you have to go through him, and if you don't go through him. There's nothing else. There's no, there's no other door. There's no other authority. There's no other name. There's nothing else that you can do to, to get at this. So it's not that God has, you know, Um, you know, changed the plan or withdrawn something from Israel, or they're not declaring something new. They're not starting a new religion as, you know, you'll hear popularly summarized, right? Like, you know, like Jesus founded a new religion, like that's not accurate at all. The the idea is, you know, this is the same God, the same teaching, the same relationship, the same people. And now here we can perceive clearly um, the way that this all happens i mean so it's it's just all becoming um clearer and coming into focus the stuff that like had been there all all along which i suppose is kind of more of a john way of talking about things thinking of john's prologue um you know in the beginning was the word and you know he was he was there and like you know this this was this was what was going on even we you know when the darkness uh rejected him you know back in old testament times like it he was there, though.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So,
0: so that is what Peter proclaims. His sermon, as it's recorded by Luke, ends in verse 12. And then we see the response beginning now again with the text in Acts 4.13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go finding no way to punish them because of the people for all were praising God for what had happened for the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. That's where our text ends. That takes us through Acts four twenty-two. 22. Pastor Espinosa, talk a little bit more about the, astonishment of the Sanhedrin here, it looks like there's at least two things going on. There's the boldness of Peter and John, and also the fact that at least as the ESV translates it, they're uneducated common men. Why are these things astonishing to the Sanhedrin?
1: Right. Well, I mean, I I think that, I mean, we, we forget that there's a pretty huge education difference that um, it's pretty significant. I mean, to to be able to eloquently talk before a group and to persuade people, um, especially in that culture, um, like it, it, it's hard to do that. Like if you don't you kind of have some kind of claim to um, you know status or, or be related to some person. Um, I mean, even if you do have that, like if you don't have the talk that just makes you sound authoritative, like it, it's just it's hard to get people to like mobilize uh, behind you and to, to lend you their support. Um, and those are the exact skills, you know, like rhetoric um, that, that they taught. Um, but the only people who received that kind of education were of course, the people who are kind of already in power. So um, to, to be able to, to speak persuasive. I mean, I, I think this in a lot of ways was just their original problem that they had with Jesus, that you had a carpenter from like the, you know, the backwaters of Galilee, who for some reason was, crazy persuasive and like had very good rhetoric and, you know, could like go toe to toe with, you know, people like, you know, Pontius Pilate and like use like logical arguments and uh, turn them around on like the, the scribes and the elders, the people who are supposed to be really educated people who could just, you know, uh, they, they would ask like the gotcha questions and like, and they try to stump you and they'd make you make it look like you were contradicting yourself. And, you know, if you didn't have, um, those kind of rhetorical weapons to defend yourself, you'd really quickly just become discredited and look like a fool. But so, so, so they're, they're, caught off guard. And I think that's part of what's going on when they say that they recognize they'd been with Jesus because they're like, okay, this sounds like Jesus, you know, like he was really good at turning our words against us and, you know, just turning the tables and they must've picked this up from him. Like, I mean, there's no other way that these commoners, became able to talk this way Jesus taught them how to talk this way um so so they got that and they're real, realizing like oh man okay we're these are these are the ringleaders aren't they so you know so th- there's there's that um side of it but then like you were saying too there's um just just the the the, the isness of the sign um they they healed this guy who couldn't walk and, and, it, and it's important like and um you know, in Luke's language like supports this. Like, the, bi- the big problem is his age. Um, mm-hmm. Like, the guy is 40 years old. People know this guy. They have seen him there in the, t- and, he, and it says there in Acts, and this is really important, that like he positioned himself in this spot where if you're going into the temple, like you had to pass by this dude. And so, anyone who's lived in a big city, understands this phenomenon. Like there there are people who will, you know, put themselves on street corners or on on certain busy intersections. And it's like, you know, like you pass by them like every day or every week and like, you just know this person. So everybody knows this guy in Jerusalem and people who go up to the temple and here he is standing, which, so it's like, okay, it's not anybody else. And then also, you know, um, it's been known since ancient times that there are a number of illnesses, particularly that affect children, where they might temporarily be unable to walk or something like that. Um, but pretty rare um, or just unheard of that, you know, uh, a person who's unable to walk, you know, like, and he's like 45 years old, and then he, all of a sudden he can, oh, I got better. Like, that, that just doesn't happen. And so th- 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 there's this real pickle that they're in. There's like no way for them to write off what happened. Um, it, it reminds me a lot of the Lord's miracle of the healing of the blind man that's recorded um, in John, where it's just like, everybody knows this guy, there he is, his parents are brought in. They're like, yeah, no, it's him. And they just, they're, they're left in this problem where it's like they, they cannot sweep this under the rug. And because he's got popular backing now, it's like, you know, how they had a hard time dealing with John the Baptist earlier. It's just like, you, you can't, just go and be harsh with these people that are so popular without turning everyone against you.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's where I think you do start, or I start to see some similarities to Holy Week. And and like you said, with they recognize that Jesus used to do this to us, that a lot of that back and forth where, where they're trying to trap him, and then he evades their trap or turns it back upon themselves, that happens in the early part of Holy Week. And it's—I mean—that's—I mean—just thinking about the way Acts progresses here. You've got the excitement of Pentecost, the excitement of this miracle. The enemies of of the church seem like they're frustrated here. But they don't give up un- until you know they kill Stephen in Acts chapter seven and, and the beginning of eight, almost like the way Holy Week progresses, where Jesus enters triumphantly into Jerusalem mm-hmm. on Palm Sunday, and and from an I say this from an earthly perspective, you know he looks like he's winning at the beginning of the week because every time they come at him, right. he turns the question on his head until they kill him at the end of the week, and so I, that's where I'm I'm seeing some similarities between the life of our Lord and the life of of the early Church in the opening
1: chapters of Acts, right? Well, yeah, no, I I think I think that's very good, and and of course, I think when you when you look at you know, of course, what's going to happen to Stephen? You know, Stephen sounds a lot like the Lord on the cross, and the words that he says, and so you get the clear sense that you know the church is in some sense like the Lord Jesus, kind of letting this um, happen to him. So, I mean, yeah, there there, there's a lot of these similarities that that are going on here, Um, and. Um, just like what happened where, you know, after the Lord's death, this actually ends up to serve, you know, b- bolstering the ranks of the believers, the same thing's going to happen with Stephen. Um, so uh, there's a lot that's the same, but I mean, it, it is just interesting the difference because they, they are kind of in this, in a way, it, it just becomes, begins, begins to get more and more targeted against the, these leaders, the high priesthood and, and the Sadducees, um, I mean like it is interesting cuz like we're going to you know as, as you look through the rest of acts um like the the Pharisees are pretty much never going to be mentioned in like a particularly negative light um it's always going to be either neutral or just positive. Um, I mean, like as it, as it starts to move towards, you know, uh, you think of, you know, uh, Saul, you know, also Paul, um, who, you know, after his conversion is going to keep calling himself a Pharisee. And the Pharisees are going to end up like agreeing with him and supporting Paul um, in a lot of different moments. And um, uh, as opposed to the Sadducees who, you know, are going to continue to, to be, you know, kind of the part of the, the, the bad guys here, um, which is just so different because like when the Lord Jesus healed a paralytic, right. As, uh, the, the, uh, the words go and the ESV in Luke chapter five, it's the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who are sitting there and criticizing them, um, and, and saying all of this, but, but now the Pharisees are nowhere to be seen, um, so it's it's interesting that it's like, okay, sure, there's like a lot of similarities, but um, I think the difference there shows that the, uh, and of course, it's the Pharisees who kind of, even though they don't have the position of power, they, they kind of have a deeper connection with the people. They kind of have more of a grassroots movement going on. So you, you, you see in Acts, I think that this stuff is kind of repeating, history sort of repeating itself, but... The grip that these corrupt leaders have over their people is slipping.
0: Well, and it, it's later, and I suppose this is Paul speaking in a maybe not quite as. Jewish of a context, but you know, they they recognize that these this preaching turns the world upside down. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a later in Acts 17, I think. Yeah. And and you start to see that already as you're describing it, that, that when Jesus is Lord, as, as the confession will go, then that, that really does turn everything on its head. And you already start to see that here in, in Acts chapter 4. Now, Pastor Espinosa, you've mentioned already kind of their deliberations. And it goes between the fact that here's this guy, he's over 40 years old, people knew Knew who he was as a beggar now he's walking and leaping and praising god we we can't deny that the people are really kind of going crazy over this they're listening to peter and john what can we do at this point the answer is well let's let's just threaten them and and tell them to cut it out they do uh, talk about this this threat that they give and then the way that peter and john respond to that threat
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it it really makes a lot of, you know, just, uh, it makes a lot of sense. It's a very practical solution. If they, if they martyr them, that's just going to add fuel to the fire. Like the best that they can hope for is that they can just intimidate Peter and John to, you know, on a certain level, you know, on their own, stop doing this. Um, I I mean, just, just to talk about it less. I mean, that that's, that's the the best that they can kind of hope for. Um, but, but yeah, as you know, what, what's interesting is, um, it, they have like a very, it's a very emphatic construction when it says like to, to not speak, um, you know, in, in this name, like it says like, you know, to, to not a single person, <laughs> it's like to, to absolutely nobody. Um, but, but then, you know, when they respond, um, they're like, yeah, um, because because of because of what's happened, like you, you guys can do your thing and you can you you can make your judgments. And sure. I mean, it's, it's very it's very just pointed. It's just, you know, hey, it's for it's for you guys to decide and to debate. You, you guys are the wise ones. You guys are the ones in charge. Right. So you can handle all of that. Right but we're just going to keep on speaking. I mean, it's just, it's like it's such a brilliant move because it's like, it's just on the one hand, he's kind of not denying their power, which is a lot like what the Lord Jesus did. Like, well, yeah, of course you have the power to release me or to condemn me, but you wouldn't have that power unless it were given to you from on high, you know? So its it's just like, okay, I'm just going to acknowledge your power and then just acknowledge how it has nothing on me, like yes, you can do whatever you'd like, and we're going to just keep on doing this. And, and in particular, um, you know, they, they use the word uh, "speak," and it's this word of public speaking—the one that was used um, in verse one. So it, it's not like it's like, oh, we just you know we we're just we're just so happy and we just can't help but like you know gab about this. and so we're just gonna, we're just gonna keep telling our friends it's not bad even it's like we just can't help but just publicly address the people and just go on and just keep making this known to everybody um so i mean it, it really is uh yeah i mean it, it's it's a very uh pointed refusal um but i mean they just let, let him go because what else were they gonna do
0: Right, right, and and I, I like the way that again, you know, Peter and John learning from the Lord Himself, they they turn it back on them, and it's more than just the yeah, you do your thing, we'll do ours, uh, and we don't like you sort of thing. But they they couch it in terms of the judgment of God mm-hmm. and, and the sight of God, you know, and and really put it back on on them to think about what they're doing. You know, you think it's right in your sight. Well, what about the sight of God? That's that's the judge, and and to go with that thought of power that you've been bringing out, you know, where does the authority, where does the power really, really come from? Again, this goes back to a, a, Holy Week conversation that, that they had with Jesus, you know, whose, whose authority are you using Jesus? Well, here, here, the these two apostles, Peter and John bring it back to that. You know, what about the sight of God? That's whose judgment we are actually under, not yours. It's a, I mean, I suppose in that light, it's a pretty subversive move on, on the part of Peter and John.
1: Well, no, 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 it it is. And I think also too, because of the word that's used here, and this is uh, interesting that, you know, it's, it's Luke here mentioning this, the word that they use, whether, whether it's right, um, this is, uh, this is, this is the word that was used of, uh, that the, that the centurion used where he's like, surely this man was innocent. So, I mean, in a way they're kind of saying like, look, whether or not it's a crime, Right. Um, that's, that's your deal, right? Like you, you can decide like, you know, what's a crime, um, you know, what, what, I mean, you, you, you decide how you want to interpret like our, like the kind of the laws of kind of like the Jewish nation, right? Um, you know, so it's like, they have this sphere over deciding, you know, like how they're going to, how they're going to govern and whether or not something counts as like a punishable, Offense, right? So, like, on, so you know, I mean, to use Lutheran terms, it's like, okay, yes, do your left hand kingdom thing, right? Like, you you go ahead, right? Um, But, 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 yes, as you're saying though, like, they 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 bring up though that they're listening to to God directly, who's of course the one who's in charge of both, ultimately the left hand kingdom and his right hand kingdom. So, I mean, it's just. You know, kind of like regardless of you know how you want to decide things and, and how you want to kind of slice and dice and wheel and deal with the punishments and and the uh, and the rewards, like th- th- there's just kind of no contest at the end of the day.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate again this this passage because it does lead the way I think into as we'll see in chapter five perhaps the more well-known saying of the apostles where they say, we must obey God rather than men. I think, you know, keeping it together with this one is, is helpful because it's, it's not just, Hey, we're going to do our thing, but they're saying, look, this is, you need to think about this too. You have to judge this for yourself too. And as you said, certainly within that, that left-hand realm and the political power they do, you know, you guys deal with that. But I I think there an almost a call to repentance here. Like think about this Think, I mean, kind of going back to, to what Peter had said back in his Pentecost sermon about, oh yeah, them. you you knew Jesus of Nazareth, you saw the signs attested by God, but you you killed him. And yeah, it's almost like a call to that. Yeah, here. you judge these
1: things for real. Yeah, no, it's, no, it's, no I, yeah, I think you're right on, right? I mean, it's like you know, it's like well, it's for you to decide whether we should listen to you or to God. I mean, like, I mean, of, of course, like, like, there's no, there's no question, like, there's no decision to be made when you put it that way. It's like, of course, they should l- listen to God, right? I mean, like, they just they couldn't publicly ever say otherwise, right? And so, I I mean, it it is ultimately um, like a very significant challenge. And and I think, I mean, to the broader themes here, I mean, this this is Luke, who is the one who describes the ascension in the clearest terms of all the evangelists, you know, who has begun acts with this very clear description of the ascension. So, I mean, all of this is just showing that, you know, it, it's it's Jesus who has ascended into uh, power. It's not just that he's he's alive, as if that were a small thing, but like it's not just that he's alive and he still like kind of shows up and talks. But but he's alive and he's been exalted and he's a- actually ruling the world. Um, you know, th- this is you know in, in some ways like the uh, the the end of the age because their their power has been emptied. They, they were witnessing you know the thrones before him falling we're we're witnessing you know every enemy being subdued and put under his feet like dominoes falling until the last one falls which is death itself so you're seeing Jesus take over right now mm, yeah and, and what
0: a, and so then the call to these men to find their place in his name, where there is salvation, because it doesn't doesn't come anywhere else. It only comes in Jesus. Pastor AJ Espinoza serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine, California, helping us today with Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. Pastor Espinoza, thanks for being our guest today. Pastor Apple, always my pleasure. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Acts chapter 4, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.